All right, um, the last study on the last uh, subject of our systematic theology, and it's the study of the last days. Um, and where's my glasses? I'm going to need them. Pardon me. There's some things that haven't happened, and there's some things that godly uh, individuals in the church disagree on, and yet we still say that uh, while it is important, it's secondary importance, and it doesn't mean that we, if somebody holds a different view than us, and we break fellowship with them, um, that, that's not what we do about this. I do believe that some things about the return of Christ have been revealed to us, though. Uh, we know that he's going to return as a victor. We know that the dead will be raised in him. We know that there's going to be resurrection bodies. And we know that there's going to be judgment for both the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, so we, we can agree on all of these things. Still, there are a lot of things about the last day or about the day of Christ's return that we may not uh, completely agree on. And that's okay. Um, I want us to go over uh, kind of quickly. We don't have to look up these verses, but I've, I've written down some things that we, conclusions we came to as we looked at different verses dealing with the whole idea of the Lord's return. Uh, last week, the term last day, which is used six times and all in the book of John. And we find out what happens on the last day. We see that when he talks about the last day, there's going to be the resurrection of the, of the righteous. But we also see from John chapter 12 that there's going to be judgment for the wicked on that same last day. We see um, in regards to the whole idea of judgment, we looked up several passages for that. And we saw from uh, John's gospel, once again, it would be for those who have done evil on the last day. But we saw from Matthew's gospel where Jesus talks about those on his right and his left and he says, uh, you know, to, to one group, uh, enter into my glory here. You saw me uh, imprisoned. You came visit me. You saw me hungry. You fed me. You saw me needing clothes. You gave me something to wear. And so you come in. And, of course, I say, when did we do that? When you did it to the least of these brethren of mine, you did it to me, right? And then he's going to turn to those on his left and say, you didn't do all these things. This is the same, same time, it seems. And they're going to ask the same question. When didn't we do this? And he's going to say, as you didn't do it to the least of these brethren of mine, you didn't do it to me. So we find that from Matthew 25. In the other places where we see um, the judgment to come, it seems in both 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Thessalonians 1, Revelation 20, uh, this judgment would come at the same time for both the um, for both the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, in Acts 17, we see that uh, uh, the, 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 the judgment is uh, for the world on an appointed day. Uh, all of the world on an appointed day. Resurrection, uh, we looked at that. We looked at several passages regarding uh, resurrection, and we saw that, that resurrection for both the righteous and the wicked happen in John chapter 5 it says the same hour it says the hour when Christ returns and Acts 24 seems to indicate the same thing resurrection 
both the just and the unjust happen at the same time. Uh, number four here in review, God, uh, the reason for God's delay in his coming, many have said, where is his coming? It's gone on like it's been since the beginning of the world, as Peter tell, talks to us about. But Peter says, you know what? God's delay is intentional. And the very purpose for his delay is he's, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And it seems quite clearly that once Christ returns, the opportunity to repent is gone. And that's the only reason at this point that his return has been delayed because um, if it's, uh, uh, because he says quite specifically, giving time for others to repent, Christ returns, it's no longer there. Um, let me put that down there. Put that down there. I don't know what color we're going to do it. Do it. All right, we're going to do it black. RE. <laughs> RE looks kind of bad, but I'm not going to fix it. Okay. And then we see uh, death, uh, what happens with death. 1 Corinthians 15 says that there is one last enemy to be destroyed, and that last enemy is going to be death. And we see in that same chapter that that last enemy of death to be destroyed will be destroyed once Christ returns. Okay. So the destruction of death happens at that time. Then we see in first, excuse me, in Second Peter, verse three or chapter three, one through eleven, that the current heavens and the current earth that we see right now, uh, Peter says, are destroyed with Christ's return. He returns, and the the new he the heavens and the earth are destroyed, and and up comes a new heaven and a new earth. And we see that these uh, the current heavens and the current earth are return are uh, replaced by the new heavens and the new earth at Christ's coming. Uh, it's, Insinuate, or it's uh, implied in Romans 8, uh, it's explicit in 2 Peter 3, and again we see it, uh, new heavens and a new earth in Revelation 21, verses 4, 1 through 4. Now look at these, these things, and these things are things that the New Testament teaches, and I think teaches pretty explicitly, and I think it teaches in passages that are clear passages. If you were to say, if you were to think of what book in the Bible is the most difficult to understand, what would you say? Revelation. Uh, most people would agree Revelation is by far the most difficult book in the Bible to understand. Um, so what we want to do instead of building our uh, understanding of the end time based on the most difficult book in the Bible to understand, we, we should, I think, use passages that are clear in the rest of the New Testament teaching regarding the end time. And so that's some of what we've done here, even though I did include a couple of passages from Revelation in these uh, when we dealt with the terms last time. But I think those passages would agree with the rest of the New Testament in our understanding. And it's pretty clear to me that on the last day, what happens? Resurrection of the righteous and the judgment for the wicked. And when we look at judgment, you know, just as judgment in other places, we see that it comes for both the righteous and the wicked at the same time. 
uh, when resurrection is spoken of, we see that there is to be a resurrection of both uh, the righteous and the wicked at the time when Christ returns. We see um, that the reason God's delay in returning, again, once again, is so that uh, all would have opportunity to repent. Once Christ returns, that opportunity is no longer there. We see um, that death, when Christ returns, uh, death is the last enemy, and it is destroyed when Christ returns. We see a new heaven and new earth uh, coming uh, when Christ returns, okay? So I think that these are some, some things that are pretty clear in the teaching of the rest of the New Testament. I did not try to, I pointed them out and then asked you the questions on them. Uh, I wasn't saying this is what it's saying. I pointed them out and let you say it, okay? Because it seems pretty clear. And I don't think there's a whole lot you have to do. Now, one other thing. We, we need to let the teaching of the Bible instruct our theology. And we've got to be careful if our theology is not agreeing with the Bible that we don't force it on the Bible, Okay? And so I think that these are some things that are pretty clear. And so we're going to see how these things fit in these different views, uh, different views that are here now uh, in, among Christians in regards to the uh, second coming of Christ. Okay? Now I put these, uh, these are the stapled things, uh, and I put them in alphabetical order. So you've got amillennialism, uh, which is not the best title for that, but because it's the title it gets first. Uh, because of the title, ah, starts with an A. Second, dispensationalism. Third, historic premillennialism. And fourth, uh, postmillennialism. So these are the four major views. Within each one of these views, there are variations, okay? So um, I just want us to be real careful with that. Now, I want us to look at, at these views, and I have them written up here pretty briefly, okay? Um, but I, I, what I want us to do is look at where and how these things that we looked at, repentance, when can repentance take place? Judgment, when does that take place? Resurrection, uh, when does it take place for both the righteous and the unrighteous? The end of the offer to repent, when does that take place? The death of death, when does that take place? And the earth being destroyed by fire and the new heavens and the new earth, when is that to take place? Okay? Um, and so we, we've seen these things. We see, as we looked at last time, these things are things that it seems from the teaching of all of these passages, these happen when Jesus returns. Okay? All right. And so, with that in mind, let's see if I can get... Um, Okay, with that in mind, when did we see repentance, the opportunity to repent, ending? When Christ comes. When Christ comes. When Christ comes. The second coming, right? Okay, so that would be right here. Uh, end of repentance. Okay? Now, that is the same in this one. This is, post this is all millennialism, and this is post-millennialism. Amillennialism and postmillennialism, Christ comes back, there's no longer an opportunity to repent. Okay? Uh, end. Okay? Now, what you have with 
premillennialism, both dispensationalism and historic premillennialism, you've got Christ returning and on this two-sided two sheet, on the back side, you've got writings from these two, the top two are, are premillennialists, okay? The bottom is your critique of premillennialism. Right, so, so let's, uh, someone read that first paragraph for us. Those born in millennial period must receive Christ as Savior just as people in prior dispensations. Okay, hold on. Those born in the millennial period, that's, that's right here. Is that before or after Christ's return, according to dispensationalism? According to them, it's after. It's after. And so he's saying, after, even after Christ has returned, and we're, we're all agreeing the second coming is right here. And so he's got this a thousand years, a thousand year millennium, and they've got a continuation of people accepting Christ right here. All right? Same would be, I believe, with historic premillennialism during this time, this thousand years after Christ has come, which Peter says, no more opportunity to repent, yet for this one and this one, there's still the opportunity to repent. That's what he just said when you read that first line there, right? Mm -hmm. Those born in the millennial period must receive Christ as Savior just as people in prior dispensations. Going to have to have an opportunity to repent. But that's after Christ has come. Seems to me it flies in the face of what Peter said. But go on. By the end of the thousand years, there will be millions of people born under Christ's kingdom that will still refuse to accept him as Savior. During this time period of Christ's theocracy, Satan is bound in the bottomless pit, but the Adamic, Adamic nature is not eradicated in mortal mankind that is still being born. Those who are born to those who have entered the millennium can refuse and not be saved, even if their parents are saved. At the end of this time period, Satan will be released from the bottomless pit, Revelation 27, and will lead all unbelievers in a rebellion against Christ, against the saints and the city of Jerusalem. The fire of God will come from heaven and devour them, Revelation 28, 9. Then comes the white throne of judgment. The last judgment before the new heavens and earth are made prepared for the heavenly Jerusalem to come down where death will be no more. Okay. So let's just, let's just consider, first of all, this is the first one. No repentance. No more, offer, no more free offer of the gospel after Christ has returned, is what Peter tells us. Okay. This one says Christ returns here, and that's the end of the opportunity to repent. Post-millennialism says Christ returns here at the end of the millennium, and that's the end of the opportunity to repent. Premillennialism, in either case, says there's an opportunity to repent after Christ comes back. Because they've got people continuing on, some in resurrected bodies and some in their natural bodies that are going on and they're continuing to have children during this time. And these children that they have during this time would have to have the opportunity, of course, to hear the gospel, you see. 
I, I, I see these two as flying in the face of what Peter says here. Okay. Well, let's go on. Um, <laughs> let's look at the death of death. When does the death of death come? Christ's second coming. So this is the end of the opportunity to repent. It's also the death of death. Once again, here is the death of death. Because Christ comes and we enter the new heavens and new earth, and there's no more opportunity for people to die at that point. Okay, in premillennialism. Who wants to read the next paragraph on that same page? Who will populate the millennium? Watch closely. Isaiah 65 describes this time of better conditions. Verse 20 says, There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall, child shall die an hundred years old, but the sinner being an hundred years old shall be accursed. From this verse we see, that people live longer, of course, but some still die. Death is not yet erased. This is important to notice. During the millennium, people will be walking around on the face of this planet with natural bodies, subject to decay and death, which we all inherited from Adam. Where do these people come from? Okay. Where does the death of death happen under premillennials? Either, either one. Very end. Happens thousand years after Christ returns, right? Is that the final judgment then? Like, is that what you're calling them? They call the final judgment? No, but this is this is what we're talking about from a, a people not dying, the first death. Okay, and you know, in Revelation twenty talks about second death as well as the, the first death. Um, when Christ returns, death is defeated, and he's talking about the physical death. And he's been talking about, you know, uh, raised uh, up to uh, uh, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, uh, sown in weakness, raised in power, and, and so on and so forth. So he's talking about when, when Christ returns, the last enemy to be defeated is death. And then towards the end, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, starting about verse 50, 57, there's that great passage, where of death is resting, where of, uh, you know, I, I forget exactly how it goes there, but uh, it's gone. This thing of death is gone because Christ has returned and defeated completely. So and so he's saying that the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, there's a death of death. It fits either one of these. In either one of these, it's a thousand years after Christ returns. All right, now, let's look at, let's look at judgment, okay? And I've got here for the righteous, this color, and then there's a, oh, it's brown. It's supposed to be brown, it looks more gold, but. So we're going to use these for uh, uh, judgment of the righteous, judgment for the unrighteous. Okay? Um, 
according to amillennialism, when does this take place? At the second coming. Right. So, judgment. And judgment. Postmillennialism. You got judgment for the righteous and judgment for the unrighteous at the time of Christ's return. Judgment for the, well, let's, let's look at the dispensationalists. Let's turn, turn this over, okay? And I've got a passage here from John Walvoord, who is, uh, was dispensationalist, the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. And the second paragraph here, I want to read read it to you and then we're going to uh, hopefully see if I can follow him here. Okay? Since seven judgments are distinguished in scriptures as being related in some sense to end times events. The first of these uh, is the judgment of the church, the body of Christ at the judgment seat of Christ usually considered to be by pre-tribulationalists to have taken place in heaven immediately after the rapture and the prior return to Christ on earth. And so this is the judgment of the righteous, right? Right, right there. Christ returns and there's a rapture of the church. They come up and they are judged here. Okay. Now he goes on. A second divine judgment has to do with the resurrection and reward of tribulational saints as indicated in Revelation 20, verse 4. So, you have the second judgment right here at Christ's second coming with those saints who made it through the tribulation. <clears throat> Closely associated with this, uh, apparently, is third judgment of the resurrection and judgment of Old Testament saints is prophesied in the Old Testament. Old Testament in connection with the second advent. And so you have a judgment here also for the righteous, but it's talking about the Old Testament saints. So it's happening there. Okay? Now, um, so that's three. The fourth judgment has to do with Gentiles living in the world at the time of the second advent, at which time the righteous are separated from the wicked living on the earth. And so there's also a judgment of the unrighteous here. Go on. Um, that was the fourth one. Yeah. A fifth judgment has to do with living Israel in the world at the time of the second advent who are regathered and judged relative to their place in the millennial kingdom of Christ. I, I, th I think we would call that a judgment of the just too. And it would happen here at this, this same time. Hmm. Um, two final judgments mark the close of the millennium. Okay, so that would be here. Two final judgments mark the, middle, the close of the millennium. The judgment of the angels and Satan and the judgment of the wicked dead at the great white throne. So you have judgment here. 
wicked. And then he goes on, says, though not mentioned in the Bible, it is apparent that, that there will need to be a judgment of millennial saints at the close of the millennium in addition to these that are revealed. And so you also have another judgment of all those who made it through the millennium. Uh, children born during that time have received Christ, and so they will be judged here. So you've got eight judgments happening at least three different times. I hate to accuse people of reading their views into scripture, but do they have any sort of Bible verse they'd point to that would separate Old Testament saints judged from New Testament saints or, or, or a separation of judgment for Jews and Gentiles, that there are two separate judgments? Because I can't think of anything. We looked at all passages. I, I believe we looked at every one of the passages in the New Testament that deals with judgment apart from the book of Revelation. But even those in the book of Revelation, other ones in the book of Revelation, don't, to me, don't suggest this. Okay? So what you're saying is you've got this theology that you've worked out, but your theology causes you to have all these different places. And you really wanted to get to the number seven. <laughs> well, he's got eight. Well, he says seven. He does say he seven, but then he says, <laughs> then he says it, it may not be mentioned in the Bible, but there is a need. So anyway. All right. Um, so I'm looking at it, and I'm going, the rest of the New Testament seems to teach me that judgment happens on the day that Christ returns for both the just and the unjust at the same time. All right, we go on. Um, so we got judgment there. We dealt with judgment. Two. Let's deal with the resurrection. The resurrection, we have to deal with this color again as well. Um, is it here? You've got, well, let me just show you here. You've got a resurrection. Of believers here. Then you'll have believers dying in the tribulation and Christ returns, there's a resurrection of believers here. You've got those who die during the millennium, and at the end of the millennium, there would need to be yet another resurrection for those who have died during the millennium who are believers. got the resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And they've got the resurrection of the unjust here. Um, and the resurrection of the two witnesses. Don't forget they show up somewhere in that seven years too. <laughs> okay. We, we work with those. But then you've got a resurrection of the just and the unjust here too. What I see is clear teaching 
in the New Testament in regards to the resurrection is that it happens on the same day, the day that Christ returns. It fits either one of these. It's not so much fit, fitting these. And even in this one, you've got uh, resurrection of the righteous here, resurrection of the unjust here. So um, you, you've got some issues there. Okay. Um, let's see, we dealt with death, didn't we? We already talked about the death of death. Um, end of the offer to repent. Let's see. Happens here. Uh, it happens here. And I guess I should be underlining that with yellow. But here, it happens here. Here it would happen here. A thousand years after Christ returns. Um, new heavens and a new earth. Peter seems pretty clear it happens when Christ returns. Uh, Paul certainly implies it in Romans 8. And I think we see it in Revelation 21 as well. That there's a new heavens and a new earth when Christ returns. We already see that here. Christ returns, we enter into the new heavens and the new earth. Christ returns, we enter into the new heavens and the new earth. In both of these, Christ returns, you've got a million years, and then there's a new heaven and a new earth. Um, as, as, I, as I look at these, I've got other reasons that I can't necessarily hold to this one. Um, but. Uh, I, I, I look at this, and all of these things that we talked about take place at the same time as Christ's return. They fit either one of these patterns. They don't fit either one of these. So, turn it back over. Critique of premillennialism, the second paragraph there. Now let's go to the first one. What might this uh, golden age look like to a premillennialist? Do people die in the millennium? Do people marry in the millennium? Since premillennialists teach that the righteous are resurrected at the beginning of the millennium and therefore dwell on earth during the millennium with those who have not yet died and have been resurrected, what happens to those resurrected saints who die in the millennium? Uh, regarding the millennium as a yet future event creates unnecessary and unavoidable difficulties. Certain events which scripture seems to make clear are singular events uh, as singular events uh, have to be artificially made to double up. For example, the return of Christ. A premillennialist has at least two returns of Christ and possibly three. A pre-tribulational rapture, a return of Christ, a post-tribulational rapture, return of Christ, and a return of Christ to rescue the camp of the saints and vanquishes enemies in order to set up the great white throne judgment. Added to this is a double up of the physical resurrection. Those who have had previously died prior to the millennium and have uh, and who will be resurrected at the start of the millennium and for everyone else at the end of the millennium. So you see he's just talking about a couple of things that I'm looking at here and saying this sort of stuff of all of this happening when Christ returns 
which seems to be what the New Testament is telling you, where you divide these things up so much, I, I don't see it as a clear teaching of the New Testament anywhere. Um, and so that is um, that, and, and after we did the exegesis of the major passages and looking at that and what I think they really say is reason. I look at this and I go, I've got brothers and sisters in Christ who believe this and hope of this. This is what I was taught all my life growing up. Um, yeah. When I went to uh, when I went to college, I kind of moved from this view to this view. And it just so happens that when I was reading the uh, foremost uh, theologian on this view, his name is uh, leaves me right now. Um, it's on it's on your sheets there. George Eldon Ladd. I was reading George Eldon Ladd and what he was writing. He was writing it on passages of scripture. He holds to this view strongly. And as I'm reading him, I'm going, that sounds more like this view. That sounds more like this should be this. And he finally goes, now I know you're reading this and thinking that this is all millennialism. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, and I agree with all that. But for one reason, for one reason, he did not accept all millennialism, and that had to do with Revelation chapter 11, in which I probably hold the same view he holds, or excuse me, Romans chapter 11, and I probably hold the same view as he holds of Romans chapter 11. It doesn't stop me from being an all millennialist. I do believe that, that there's going to be a, a, a tremendous um, outpouring of the gospel among the, uh, the Jews uh, before Christ returns, and that there will be a tremendous uh, amount of uh, Jewish people uh, accepting him as their savior. And so it doesn't bother my view here at all. It doesn't make me in any way uh, move to this. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's, that's the reason I hold to, to this view. Other reasons I don't hold to this one, I, I, I think the... Uh, there's some among post-millennialism, 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 yeah, <laughs> who, who don't believe that it's going to be a physical, earthly uh, millennium. It seems to me they would be closer to amillennialist, and that's what I believe. I believe that it is a, the, uh, the thousand years represents this whole time between uh, Christ's ascension, to be seated on the throne at the right hand of the Father, and his rule and his reign there, and he's ruling and reigning with the saints who are there now until he comes again. And so that, that seems to, um, it seems to me to fit the rest of the teaching that we looked at regarding things that take place at the second coming. Okay, well, that's that. Now, next week, Lord willing, we're going we're gonna to do some character studies. <laughs> Start looking at some of the people of Scripture, how God has done for them, so on and so forth. All right. Thanks for your Maybe next week we ought to do an exam over all systematic theology. <laughs> <laughs>
right? Maybe pop, please. Okay. Let me pray.